Welcome to the Vets First podcast, a research-based conversation centered around the VA healthcare system, its services, and patients. From Iowa City, Iowa, here's your hosts, Dr. Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray. Welcome back, everyone, to the Vets First podcast. Uh, I'm Brandon Ray. With me is Levi Sowers. Hello. Uh, with us today, we have Jim Rabella from the Gary Sneese Foundation. Uh, Jim is the VP of Programs and joined the Gary Sneese Foundation in 2019 as VP of Outreach. He's here today to talk with us about the Gary Sneese Foundation Avalon Network, as well as mental health. Uh, thank you for joining us, Jim. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to jump right into it here. Jim, um, you are you were a, a, a fighter pilot for 26 years, is that correct? Yes. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about how you um, got interested in the military why did you join the military how'd you become a pilot oh sure my dad was a pilot he joined in world war ii him and his two brothers so the three of them all uh joined the army air corps uh, one of them was a navigator his youngest brother uh, who was killed in training in florida uh, his older brother served and then my dad served and he retired in 74 so he served uh 31 years so he did uh, world war ii he did uh served during Korea and Vietnam. He wasn't deployed for Korea. And then Vietnam, he was in the Philippines as a squadron commander at that point. So my would grew up around the military and airplanes and was, you know, my room was, you know, the classic model airplanes everywhere and posters of pilots. And so I, I got my license. I started when I was 15. I would cut yards, cut grass, get $40, go get a pot, go get a lesson. And, you know, it took me like a year and a half. I got my private pots license when I was just after 16. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I was just love flying. Uh, I actually went to Texas A&M. People always ask me, I was not in the Corps, which everybody thinks well, I was in the military. So, nope. I just went to A&M, uh, got out, took a job and for three years. But my, I was in sales. My sales route on my Thursdays would drive me by an Air Force base in San Antonio. So I would stop and watch the jets land every Thursday. And then one day I just went, what am I doing? I, I, I drove right to recruiter. I just drove to recruiter. And I said, I want to join, but only if I can be a pilot. And so that started the process. And like really three months later, I was in the Air Force going to officer training school and off I went. Went to wow. pilot training and luckily made it through. And yeah, it was. Where did you, was, where did you do your training at? I did my initial pilot training in Del Rio, Texas at Laughlin Air Force Base. And then I went from there to, I did serve there as an instructor for four years. So I went from there to Luke Air Force Base in Arizona and got qualified in the F-15E and then went Alaska and then, you know, a bunch of places after that. But yeah, that was my entry into the, into the military. So how did you end up with the Gary Sinise Foundation? And, and can you tell me a little bit about uh, what your role is there and, and what the Gary Sinise Foundation is about. I think, you know, Elizabeth. Oh. So. Okay, yeah. My involvement was uh, in 2003, my wife, when I was deployed, I came back and she had found out she had cancer. So 2003. So she fought that until she passed in 2007. Um, in 2006, I was in North Carolina serving uh, at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. My wife was in treatment. She was terminal, but she was in treatment. And we lost an F-16 the day she was in treatment on a Thursday. There was a F-16 went down uh, and the pilot was killed. And I remember we were in treatment. I thought, oh, that's, I can't believe we lost a, lost a fighter and a, and a pilot. And I was like, this is so sad. It turned out he had five kids. 
So our squadron did some fundraisers uh, for the spouse, sent money uh, back to her to kind of support her. Uh, that was in November of 06. And then in January of 07, so shortly afterwards, my wife went into ICU. Uh, she was not doing well. Thought she was going to pass. She did not, thankfully, but uh, most likely she would. Doctor pulled me aside and said, "I think this is what this is what happens. This is how you die of cancer." She had pneumonia, and anyway, they put her in the ICU. And I went home that night and was trying to process. And I just wrote an email to a group of my friends and just said, "This is what's happened." It was two in the morning. I said, uh, "You know, I don't think Andrew's going to make it, but uh, I'm not giving." I, this is about my faith. I was not going to give up on God. I felt sure. God didn't become bad to me in that moment. Like he, I thought he can't be circumstantial. So my relation to him and my thought of him can't be good when I'm, when things are going good for me and bad when things bad happen to me. Like he had to be unchanging to be this anchor that I needed. And I just went, I don't understand this, but uh, I feel like, you know, I'm not giving up. And, uh, so that email went to some friends, went to a friend who sent it to a friend who sent it to this widow who lost her husband in November. And she wrote back and said, can I contact this family? And I said, of course. So we ended up starting emailing. She didn't know I was in the military. I knew who she was because I knew of her husband. Um, and she was struggling with loss in very pretty dark place in her life and crisis of faith. And she had five kids, nine, six, three and twin nine month olds. And they were six months old when he deployed and nine months old when he was killed. So it was, she was in a very difficult place. And we just started emailing back and forth. My first wife uh, would give her advice. So she was usually on the sofa sick. And I'd say, hey, we got an email from this ginger. And uh, she's wants to, she has these questions. And she would just pour her heart out because she thought, I'm never going to meet these people. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. I'm just going to tell them everything I'm thinking. And um, which is a whole other thing about mental wellness, about talking how that's yeah. important. And so that's what she was doing. And we were talking back. And, and so then my, you know, later that year in 07 in November, my wife went back into the ICU and she ended up passing in December. Uh, so through that, we had a relationship kind of, we just kind of knew Ginger. We had talked for like 10 months, emails. We had never done anything other than email, but she reached out when my wife passed Andrew and she said, Hey, I, you were there for me. If there's anything you need, you know, let me know. And so we ended up both being in Texas you know, my wife, I, she had a funeral and I just left town and went, I just, I don't know, I went up to just see people and then ended up in Dallas and she was in Dallas. She actually lived in Phoenix, but she was in Dallas. And we said, well, hey, do you want to meet? Let's just say hi to each other, get a cup of coffee. So we met, turned out to be Christmas day. Uh, so nothing was open. So we just met that day and, you know, five months later we were married. Uh, and so Ginger, her first husband, Major Troy Gilbert, was killed uh, in Iraq in 2006 to, uh, supporting some ground forces. Um, his his uh, boss at the time was General Robin Rand. He was, uh, he was his wing, he was executive officer for him at Luke Air Force Base and deployed with him to Balad. And then Troy was killed over there. Uh, General Rand had met Gary Gary Sinise at a concert in Korea the year prior when he was a wing commander in Korea. And they had met, became friends. General Rand was going to pin on one star in Arizona. Troy was his exec and Gary brought his family to the pin on ceremony. General Rand said, hey, Troy, take care of this Gary Sinise and his family. You know, show him a nice time, take him to the sim, just spend a day with him. 
So Gary, uh, Troy does that. He goes, at first I will tell he's like, I don't know, another Hollywood dude. I got to spend a day with the Hollywood guy, whatever. Okay. It's my job. You know, turns out he meets Gary. He's unbelievable. Like anybody who meets Gary, you're just like, oh my gosh, he literally is the real deal Patriot. Like he is so amazing. Troy comes home and tells Ginger that he's, he's a true American Patriot. Um, so Ginger and Troy had met Gary at that ceremony. Uh, Troy deploys the next fall and is killed. Gary, I think it's the first person that Gary knew he met before and then was killed in combat. So Gary goes over to the USO tour in Iraq, sees General Rand over there, visits where Troy, they had named a, a kind of a Airman Wellness Center after Troy, had a wall for Troy and Gary stopped by and then took a picture with General Rand. So that he knew obviously of Troy and then he then gets involved in Snowball Express, which is a Gold Star Kids Foundation. Ginger and the kids go to that, meet Gary again. So there's a connection there. And then Ginger and I get married. And then over the years, as General Rand goes from one, two, three to four star, we meet Gary at all the pin-ons. So there's a, we become, oh, we know him. We're not friends, you know what I mean? But Gary's, you know, he's, he's amazing and very just genuine. And so we meet him through all those years. I retire from the Air Force four years after that going to nonprofit work for five years and then work for Gary at the end of that. So that's my connection. How I got to Gary was a lot through Ginger, her story and our connection with Gary and just getting to know him. And then I was blessed to be able to come work for him. I mean, if, if you, if you're in the nonprofit space at all, specifically veterans, but you know, it's, he's the person you want to work for someone of that integrity and that commitment, just pure passion to help. Um, is so blessed to be here. You spoke a little bit about his his passion to help. Where'd that come from for veterans? Oh, for Gary. So I would, you know, Gary's foundation is this. We just started our 11th year. So we just finished 10 years uh, in June of this year. But truly, Gary goes back 30 years beyond that, where he starts helping veterans. It, I think it really, you know, if you read his book, um, Grateful American, you can see his story of, of how he got involved with veterans. But it's through the the Vietnam experience of watching what happened, what we did as a nation. Uh, he had family members and in-laws that served in Vietnam that struggled with that post-Vietnam experience. And he watched that. And when 9-11 happened, uh, I think he said, uh, this isn't going to happen again. Like, we have to support and appreciate um, these people that are out there fighting this war for us. And uh, we need to be for them during the fight and we need to be with them after the fight and be with their families. And so that I think was a lot of his motivation. Obviously his role in Forrest Gump as Lieutenant Dan was pivotal. Uh, he plays that role. He gets invited by the disabled American veterans, the DAV to speak right after that and doesn't realize the impact of that role till he goes to that event and sees the disabled American veteran who just cheer him for how he represented what it's like to be a disabled veteran and overcome, you know, that movie when he walks at the end of it is that where he goes in life and then comes out of it is very representative and real to them. And it was real to Gary. Um, you know, he's pouring his life and his experiences through life into that role. The dog tags he wore are family members, dog tags to remind him uh, of the role he was playing. So uh, that was a big pivotal moment for him. And then getting involved, then he just starts helping veteran organizations. He then you know, just does whoever's helping veterans or he wants to pitch in. So he forms the Lieutenant Dan band, starts doing USO tours. Yeah. will go anywhere and help anything. He'll just help 
whoever needs whoever needs it, whether it be to the troops or a fundraiser for an organization that's building a home for a quad amputee. He's like, I'm there. And so he just starts helping. He wants to make a difference. Um, and that continues on. So what you see at the foundation now is a very broad mission. Our mission is to help veterans, first responders, their families, and those in need. That's an unusual nonprofit mission statement because it's very broad instead of a singular focus. And that is purposeful for Gary because that's his experience as he went through. He helped anybody that was helping a veteran. And so he wanted to continue that, that thought of, um, I want to do whatever they need. And so that's what our mission is, is to, to be there for them. So we're always evolving and seeing what the needs are in the communities to be out there and help them. And the Avalon network, which you can talk about later is part of that evolution, but Gary, passion has been mental health like to really thank these people that serve whether you enjoy the security in your community by your police and fire or whether you enjoy this protection as a freedom in this nation because of our military he wants them to know we are there for you we're here to raise your spirits we're here to improve your mental health we're here to say thank you we're here to let you know you're appreciated on behalf of the american people who are speaking through us thank you and uh, you are not forgotten and that's very passionate, very deep motivator for Gary. And it's what we carry as a foundation as employees. We bring that with us to go. That's our mission. We represent Gary. Uh, what got him these 40 plus years of life that he has built into helping veterans and first responders. That's our role to continue that. So I get the blessing of being able to vice president of program, which means I oversee our programmatic giving. So all the things you see that the foundation does the Serving Heroes, the Snowball Express, the Soaring Valor, all these initiatives you hear, the band, those all go through our programmatic side. That's what we do. So it's it's a great job, a great mission and a great job. You, you bring up a really good point about people needing to talk, needing people. And, and yeah. it's such an important thing. And, and we see that all the time from the interviews we've been doing. It's just like listening to veterans. And that's yes. one of the things that actually got us into this podcast is that they felt like they weren't being heard, right? Like, right. No, yeah. that was. I love that. that. That really, that really hit home. Where it was a consistent message we were getting that they did feel like they weren't being uh, listened to, they weren't being heard. And I don't know if, if something like this that we're doing, just two guys in a microphone, can help that. That 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 works. Well, you got, you are making a difference. I love that about. I listened to your podcast and the very first one where you talked about why the why of you're doing this, which is always important. Um, you know, to, to educate the veteran on what's being done, what the VA is doing for them, which is so important because a lot of, you know, our low percentage of use by the veterans of the VA is I don't know what they would, if some of it is, I just don't even know what they do. And there's not a, the trust there. So you personalizing it, you, you as researchers who go out and say, here's what we're doing on your behalf makes it real to the veteran. And I think you're doing a huge, you're going to make a huge impact with that. But given the veteran a voice, I just love that. I just think you're doing the, as the right thing to do. So it's not felt like the VA is just giving you, here's what we think you need. We're going to give it. We're going to just going to provide what we want to give you. What do you need? We want to be responsive to that. We do that at the foundation as well. That's a big part of what we do. Because like I said, our mission statement is so broad. You want to make sure you're staying in touch with the needs of your community. You don't want to just, you can be in the nonprofit world, do great things. But if you just do great things because of what you want to do, maybe not what they need. That's not really an effective nonprofit. You are yeah. you are doing things and spending money and you know you can get facts about that, but you really want to make an impact of what did they need 
And that's what I think you're doing is you want to make the VA be what they need. That will pay dividends. So thank you for that. Thank you for doing that for the veterans. And yeah, it's been interesting because like as a I'm a preclinical scientist, so I work with mice all day. And like it's 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 odd because like what the hell does mice have to do with a veteran's headache? Right. And I think right. it's important to understand that because we our tax dollars go to this. And I feel obligated to explain it in ways. That yes. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, when I listened to that, probably I loved your story of your cousin who you felt was why you do yeah. this. Yeah. Which I love that because you do not have to wear a uniform to serve. That's what yeah. the American people need to understand. Just because you wore a uniform doesn't mean you're the only one serving. You you serve, many people serve. Uh, what motivates us to serve is all unique. But I love that. And I will tell you, as a my when I listened to y'all and I thought, this is my analogy as a fighter pilot. I flew a very expensive, very complex machine that gave me the capability to do pretty much anything I wanted. And I could change and impact the world and impact people's lives with that technology. But I always knew as I flew that, I am the recipient of some very smart people. I didn't come up with this idea. I just got to employ it. But I was like, I am thankful when people ask me about what it's like, you know, in the military to fly a fighter, or I go, look, the heroes are these engineers and these scientists, the people that come up with this stuff that give me this capability that I get to use. But it's those are the real amazing people. If I could ever go up and I went to some of the factories and just say, hey, I just thank you for what you provided that make us a great military. Right. Um, so I think about when I listen to y'all, what you're doing, the behind the scenes, what you provide, the research you're doing that gives to the veteran. That's what connected with me. I go, that's what you're the same. You you're that important. And for the veteran to understand who it is behind the scenes that doing it and get to know you and know your name is, I think, powerful. And that's why I said I think what you're doing is going to make a huge impact. So always thankful for smart people who have these amazing degrees and things I could never understand or could ever pass one test. But I'm thankful you have that. And I'm thankful you have the desire to use it on behalf of the veteran. What do Brandon so, and I always say, or you say, it's like failing upwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> failing upwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just uh, putting forth that effort to give it a try. And, uh, All yeah. right, Brandon, let's talk about the Avalon. Network. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jim, you, you, you touched upon the, the Avalon Network, and you're talking about how, how far-reaching uh, the Gary Sneeze Foundation is, specifically on the Avalon Network. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so we launched this in February. Uh, it's been, a, well, first of all, Gary's mission has always been mental health and saying thank you. So this is just an extension of that we did not get into the mental health uh, issue in February this year. We've been in it since Gary started 40 years ago. This is specifically addressing TBI, PTS, and substance abuse. So what... You know, and, and you know what, what we feel are the major drivers and the problems in our veteran community and out for us, for the first responders as well, which I, I will tell you is a, for our organization that does first responders, I think they're maybe a little bit behind where the veteran community is on understanding PTS and the impact and, and it being able to talk about it and making it not socially awkward or unacceptable to say, hey, I have a problem and put your hand up. The, the military has done a good job in that and with the VA has started going, we know this is a problem. And I think that's a ramification of the war we're fighting. Uh, I tell people, we haven't fought a 20 year war before, ever. We haven't fought a war where we deployed this many times and we have never fought a war where people who joined in combat and retired during the same conflicts. So those are unique problems that drive unique 
issues in the veteran community and their families. And so, like I say, our first responders, I think, have dealt with this, maybe just haven't thought about it maybe as much. But, you know, when you go to work as a policeman or fireman, you know, you don't know what's going to happen that day. Your family doesn't know what's going to happen. That day. That's a stressor in your life, whether you talk about it or not, that you know what's happening. I could not come home today. And there's not many jobs where you go to work and say goodbye, where you don't know I may not come home today. Or if I do come home, I saw something horrific. I have an eight-year-old daughter and I just went to a crash site and I saw an eight-year-old girl, you know. And I have to deal with that. And I have to come home and now be normal daddy and hug my kid and play and cook dinner or whatever else, you know, and clean the house. And I'm processing what just happened 24 hours ago. That's what our military, that's what we asked them to do. I always say, you went, you joined in World War II, you went over till we won, you were killed or wounded and came home. Like there wasn't a, it was it. You're, you said goodbye to your family and that's how you basically, this was gonna come back. So that was difficult, of course, in its own way, but we didn't ask them to go over six months, come home and try to be normal and then send you back over again where we're pulling you between these two very diametrically opposed worlds that you're trying to process as a human that I am doing good things, but I'm doing having to do very horrific things. But it's, you know, for good, you know, so you're and then you're coming home and try to be dad. So you come home and it's hard to be dad or mom. And then what do you do? You have difficulty relating back to that world. You have difficulty relating to the people around you who are struggling with, oh, you know, Walmart's out of something. And that's my big stressor for the day. And you go, really? 24 hours ago, I was in combat. And I can be back that fast. So what did we do to these servicemen and women and their families during this 20 years? We created this unique problem, I think, that is this mental health issue that we're seeing and this TBI and PTS. And they're very complex. And you know this more than I do. I'm not a but they're complex problems yeah. and they're misdiagnosed. And through the misdiagnosis, we create more problems. And so we, I don't feel like we have done our best and given our best to these people who gave their all uh, and we can do better. And so the Avalon Network was, <clears throat> you know, created for that. It's, it is not the be all end all, the only solution to these problems. We are not that. We are a part of the solution. Now we feel we have a unique role in this because of our, foundation, our name and Gary's work, uh, that we can actually help move the needle. Um, <clears throat> and so the goal of the Avalon Network is to address those three problems, uh, traumatic, drain in, dra traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, and substance abuse, but to do it at a scale where we can really try to make an impact. So yeah, no, we no. see, uh, go ahead. I interrupt for a second. You know, I think, I think when you say TBI, post-traumatic stress disorder and substance abuse, or use disorders, you know, it's like what, what's interesting to me is people might think of those as very independent things, right? Right. But in reality, they're all interconnected. They are. They're, they're very interconnected. And, the, and like I said, and they're, and they're, so what we, we have people that enter that program where we may go, okay, your main issue is TBI, but guess what? You also have a substance abuse problem and you probably have some PTS. Like that's very common to have all of them. And so we'll treat all three of them through the network. You don't get just one piece of it. If you need all three, we give you all three. If you need two, we give you two. So you're right. They're they're very interconnected, and they're uh, and I would say the, the 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 problem with these, unlike our physical wounds, where we come back and we deal with a lot of physical wounds through our Rise program, where we give them homes for these severely disabled, which changes their life and their family's life and the community, which is also part of what we're always trying to do: connect into a community for these veterans and first responders. But those issues are the veterans. This issue is the family's issue. So if I come home as a veteran 
and I can't process what I'm going through and I'm not talking about it, whatever's causing me these problems, I then take that out in my family. They see the impact of that and whether I'm abusive to, in my environment of my home or abusive to myself through drugs and alcohol, these problems, I build habits and pass them on to my kids and to the generations. And so the urgency of addressing this problem is we have to stop this passing on of that because not only are we helping that service member, but we're helping the family deal with that and we're helping stopping it from coming up, you know, down the road. Where then we, what have we done as a nation? I've, this child who didn't under, doesn't understand why they're an adult and they're struggling and maybe they're abusing alcohol and they, you know, look back, well, that's what I saw my dad do. And, you know, I picked this up. That's, that's a tragedy that we have to do something about. So the suicide problem, huge issue, of course, but this contagious issue of this disease makes it more urgent in my mind. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. I was gonna ask, so if I was a veteran experiencing these, uh, these issues, or I'm guessing uh, what your answer will be, if I'm a family member and my veteran family member is experiencing these issues, how, what's the best way to reach out and get in contact with the foundation to be a part of this Avalon, uh, Avalon network? So the network is uh, addressing those three areas. And so it was built around two uh, original sites that stood out. The Marcus Institute for Brain Health, which addressed TBI. That was established by Dr. Kelly, who was the founder and originator of the National Institute, uh, Intrepid Center of Excellence at Bethesda for TBI, for active duty. So he developed this curriculum and treatment that they instituted there had amazing results for the active duty members. Uh, when he left that, the idea came, well, what's out there for the veteran? We have great, we have this great program. We know it works for the active duty, but there's nothing for the veteran in that that's doing the same thing. So he stood up through the Marcus Foundation, the Marcus Institute for Brain Health to recreate that same treatment, but for the veteran at no cost. At the same time, uh, a gentleman retired Navy EOD, Ken Falk, who retired and uh, became successful in the business world, sold that and wanted to help veterans. He was outside of Virginia, in Virginia, outside of DC, and initially started just having families who were going into the Walter Reed, you know, when their family member was wounded, gave them a retreat to just, hey, come out to my house. I'll have you out just to relax while you're waiting in DC going through this. And then thought we need to do more. And so he started Boulder Crest Retreats, donated 30 acres of land and stood up a retreat center to then talk about PTS and worked with a doctor out of North Carolina, a professor who is doing research into post-traumatic growth and develop a curriculum to deal with PTS through post-traumatic growth. So a non-traditional solution to that. Did you say post-traumatic growth? Growth. Yes. Yep. It's the, obviously the opposite of post-traumatic stress. It's, it's, it's why some people come through difficult times, but do better. And part of the research that I think in the beginning was looking at the Vietnam POW. The Vietnam POW as a group of people did much better in life than the general Vietnam population as they came back to America. And what the families were told when they were getting ready to bring the POWs home was, uh, just get ready, your family member will never be the same. Your husband will probably be in an institution because of what they've gone through, you know, three, you know, up to seven years in a prison camp. Just be ready, you'll probably have to institutionalize them. But the exact opposite happened. They were so much more able to adapt back into society than the general population so that, that they started looking at why. That really should have gone the other way. 
but why did they come out of that? And that was the where they coined the term post-traumatic growth. That first they they dealt with what happened to them in a different way that helped them grow through it versus the general population who came back and dealt with the society looking on them and spitting on them and throwing things in and being ashamed to be in a uniform versus the peer, you know. So there was the idea of well, can we quantify that and teach those skills? And that's where the Boulder Crest Warrior Path curriculum came from. Well, so, all right, we can we can quantify those and teach those skills and help people deal with it. It's not that you didn't see horrific things or do horrific things. We know that we've done that to our military and asked them to do those things, but we owe it to them. Okay, now I'm going to teach you how to deal with that because that is not normal. It's not normal what we ask you to do. So uh, that's what Boulder Crest and Warrior Path has done. So those were set up and then they were studied for about two years to look at results. Is this effective? Are we seeing good results? Again, it's not the only way to deal with these issues. We talk to many organizations that are addressing TBI and PTS and substance abuse and applaud them for being out there and helping the veteran. Our solution is we, we went after these because we know they're successful. And the idea of the Avalon Network then was to replicate those, kind of franchise it out. So to create 10 additional sites of each one of those around the country to, with the goal to treat 10,000 veterans and their families a year. So that's the scale. That's unique to the Avalon Network. There's a couple other people that are doing some large scale stuff with these problems, but not non-traditional and the, on the PTS side and not so comprehensive on the TBI side. The TBI uh, treatment is clinical, but it involves, it involves, if you go to the site, you'll go into where they're dealing. First of all, they meet with a team of doctors of all specialties to develop a program for that individual veteran Yeah, to help them with, with TBI and it's retraining the brain to function right. And so they do a lot of stuff. They'll go into rooms where you'll balance yourself and there'll be lights and this is creating rewiring the brain. It's very specific, but if you're like, oh, that's, that's unusual, but they'll also do art therapy and they'll also do some canine therapy where they're training a service dog for another veteran. So that's involved. So it's very broad based of a comprehensive approach to TBI, which is unique. Uh, and I, and why it's very successful, I think. So, um, the goal is to do, like I said, 10,000 a year and really try to make an impact into this problem. And so we can change the the dynamic of what's going on in the country. So really the goal is to take that data and go into the communities and say, hey, let's look at other ways to treat this. Because we've been doing this for 20 years and we're not really, we're still having the suicide epidemic. So yeah. maybe we just need another approach or additional approaches. And like I said, it's not the, the one and only solution. These are complex problems that are that are difficult to solve. That takes a lot of organizations, I think, approaching it maybe from different angles. We just feel like we have what's successful to a large majority of people that we can make a bigger difference. So that's the Avalon Network and why it was created. So, Jim, if I wanted to, if I was a veteran looking to joined the Avalon Network or had a family member uh, who's a veteran who I'd like to show show the Avalon Network to or get involved, how would I approach getting involved? Well, you could go to our, our website, GarySiniesFoundation.org, and you can apply. You can go on. There's a short questionnaire that you answer that'll put it into the network, and they'll do an initial analysis of whether we think it's TBI or PTS, and then you'll get a face, you'll get a call, and we'll start doing some more digging to really get you into the right right treatment. Um, so that's one way. You can also go to our sites, which I can send you a link of where they are around the country. That we have, I think, eight additional uh, warrior paths for PTS around the country, and we are in the process of standing up. I think our 
we have agreements with, I think, six or seven of the TBI sites. They're in various stages of stand-up. It takes a little bit longer, obviously, to stand up a clinical. We're, we're at universities and hospitals for those. So that takes a little bit longer to get them, like, nine to 12 months to get them up and running. But yeah. they're around the country. So you could go through those directly. You can always just reach out to us at the foundation. Um, you know, like I said, Gary's Gary's mission is 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 mental health and to say, let them know, let all these great servicemen and first responders or families know we, we are thankful. And so we are always there to help. So go to our website, you'll see Avalon Network under, uh, and you can apply through that. Um, and then anybody out there who just wants to help, also go to that website if you wanna support us financially or you wanna support in any way the foundation, our work we're doing. We are at a conduit for the American people to say thank you. Like if you, I mean, the simplest thing is people do it, you know, how if you walk, see a veteran, just walk them and say, thanks. That's a great thing to do. If you want to do more than that, you want to make that real, you can donate to the foundation. We will do that on your behalf and say, thank you, whether it be through any of our initiatives or programs, whether it be a home for severely disabled or a meal to a veteran that's deployed overseas or this, the Avalon Network, whatever, we have a program or initiative that'll probably connect with you that we can help. Okay. So, uh, Jim. I'm gonna ask you a couple more questions about you. Um, so what does it mean now to give back to veterans? You served for a long time for your country and now you're giving back to veterans. What does that mean to you personally? Yeah, I probably would have never thought I would end up in the nonprofit world in my career. It was, I just never even truthfully thought about that. Uh, but when I got out and uh, just got connected with what the nonprofit, what's happening in the country, um, Despite whatever you see in the media, this country is very thankful to the military. And it's very humbling uh, to see that. And as a father of five Gold Star kids uh, right now, we have benefited and been blessed by nonprofits personally um, that have helped my kids become, I believe, played a major role in them becoming whole and healthy in life, having gone through the tragedy of losing a, a father. Um, Troy's story was particularly difficult when he crashed. Uh, the insurgents at the time uh, were at the crash site and took his body, filmed it, put it on the on the internet as propaganda. I against, remember that story. That was him. Yes. Yeah. Put it out there as propaganda against B President Bush, the U.S. And uh, so you know that's. When they buried their dad, they didn't know, but the there was nothing in the coffin, but a piece of his skull that was found at the crash site. That's how they identified uh, Troy's remains. But his body was taken, and it was 10 years later till he was recovered and brought home uh, to, this, to be buried again in Arlington. It was actually, he was, in 2013, uh, they found toe bones were turned over at an embassy in Jordan that were Troy's, that were buried. Ginger and the kids, we went back and did a second burial at Arlington uh, for that. And then in 2013, uh, his remains were recovered by this great nation's military who, who truly never forgets. But for them to you know, never give up on Troy uh, and to bring him home, the amount of effort that this country went through to bring Troy home is very humbling and to watch his remains come back to Dover and his casket to be carried off with Ginger and the kids and the care and the dignity that our country gives to a fallen is unlike anywhere else in the world. And we should be proud as a nation 
for having young men, young men and women who are willing to make that sacrifice. And we should be proud as a nation for the way we treat them uh, when they make that ultimate sacrifice. But also all the families like we're talking about through the Avalon Network that deserve that same treatment. And what you do every day and the research you do every day makes a difference to these families. So, and that's what Gary's about. That's what he wants. That's the message he has for them. There are many people like you. You talking about the Avalon Network and the families just a second ago reminded me of another question I have about the Avalon Network. And that is, you know, it goes beyond the veteran, right? There's there's caretakers for veterans and uh, spouses, children, like you've just talked about. How important is their role in the Avalon Network and what what role can they take What um, to help their veteran? Well, I think, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, you know, I was a caregiver for my wife. The, the caregiver role is a very sacrificial. You talk about service. I was, I tell people the service member you see in uniform raised his or her right hand and swore to defend this nation and this constitution and protect freedom around the globe. And we pay them to do that. That's their job. The family member that is the spouse and the kids never raised their hand, but they serve this nation with equal commitment uh, as that service member. And for us as a nation understand the sacrifice these families make is so important and why Gary's mission is about the family. That's why it's veterans first responders and their families because he understood, he saw the sacrifices that families made uh, and enabled these servicemen and women to go out and do their work and the price they paid. It's, it's not, even if I was never injured like myself, I was never injured, my family sacrificed. They moved every two to three years my kids' schools, my wife's career, they don't have, all those things are sacrifices. The stress of seeing the deployments, these are all things they go through. They don't get a medal. They don't get a medal at the end of it. No one tells them, you know, great job. It's just, this is what they do. And so we wanna recognize that. So when you enter the Avalon Network for Treatment, there are parts of those programs that are with the family. There's a week of the TBI treatment where the family comes in. There are family retreats for Boulder Crest where we do that. We do we do lots of initiatives for the families and the caregiver. Our Snowball Express for our Gold Star families and kids or anybody who's lost a uh, parent in service to this nation. Uh, we try to be there for them through that. So there's a lot of things we do for the family. It's it is an equal part of our mission, the veteran, the first friend, the family. It's not, eh, there's a couple things for the family and we're really focused on the veteran. No, it is, Gary's mission is to do all three. And that's our job is to, like we said earlier, ensure we stay up to date on what the needs are in these communities and evolve with them and make sure we're not just giving them things we wanna give them, but give them things that they need, that they're asking for. So same thing y'all are doing, you know, yeah, we're in this together. Yes, I would say, you know, if the, you know, to the veterans that are listening or or their sure. families, if there's, you know, if there's something you need, please go to GarySneezeFoundation.org. Uh, there's a lot of resources we have there for you. If there's something you need, please let us know. I will say on behalf of Gary, if he was on this call and he would be here if he could, he would tell each and every one of you, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do uh, for this nation. And uh, it is not forgotten. And so please go to our website. Look over if you have any questions, just reach out to us. If we don't have uh, something that you need, we will try to help you find someone else in the space that can help you. But thank you. Thank both of y'all for everything you do for the VA, 
for your commitment to the veteran and their families. Um, it's It means a lot. And I know Gary's always very thankful. Jim, I have uh, two final questions for you. One's two. fun, one's not so fun. Uh, the other, the first one is the not fun one, but it's, it's, it is what it is. What, what role do you think research plays in helping veterans? Well, I, it's, it's critical because it's like I, like I said, our, if we're not able to evolve to the need, then we will never meet the need. So we, it's hard to understand and we do the same, look, are we actually making a difference? Are we make an impact. So our research is on that scale. Your research is on are what clinically are we providing? Does it work? Because look, the veteran and their family deserves the best. They don't deserve kind of good treatment or just basic. They deserve the best we have to offer. And we have extremely smart people in this nation, like y'all, who can go out and figure out, I can do this better. I can understand the problem better. So without research, I think we, we fail our veteran and the family. Okay. So without it, where are we? We're, yeah, no, totally agree. Um, yeah. The last one which I love to ask everyone. What do you do for fun, Jim? Like you're a ex fighter pilot. Like that's, that's like, Oh, what do I do for adrenaline, man? How do you personally what do, you do for fun? I like to fly fish personally. Oh, I like that. Really cool. just being, I like to be just away and alone and just quiet like that. But I love parenting. I mean, my day-to-day -day joy is I have seven kids. We're down to two at home. I've loved parenting. I love cooking as my other way to relax. Cooking and cleaning, if you can, those are weird, but you know. Jim, I have, I have one child and I can barely handle myself. So <laughs> I don't know how you do it with seven. Uh, yeah, those are mine. Now, do you still have model planes? I, I do. I do have model planes. There's some of models <laughs> right here. <laughs> of course. Well, hey, course. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think uh, everybody's doing really great work. At, 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 you know, and just keep on keeping on yeah. thank you we're we're proud to be a part of it and oh everybody you know we're proud to represent gary so yeah. and all the work he's done it's just it's a it's an honor it's an honor to be a part of it this concludes today's vets first podcast for questions or comments relating to the program please direct email correspondence to vets first podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening